This episode is brought to you by March of Dimes, the leader in the fight for health for all moms and babies. March of Dimes observed National Birth Defects Prevention Month in January, and March 3rd is World Birth Defects Day. But the sad truth is, birth defects happen year-round. Every year, the March of Dimes partners with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to generate actions women, their families, and care providers can take to prevent birth defects, which affects about 120,000 of the 4 million babies born in the U.S. every year and are a major cause of infant death and lifelong disability. Those are scary numbers, I know. But the good news is there are lots of things we can do to increase a woman's chances of having a healthy full-term pregnancy and baby. The theme for 2020's Birth Defect Prevention Month is Best for You, Best for Baby. And you can follow and share hashtag best number four you, best number four baby on social media platforms. What I love about this campaign is that their message aligns completely with what we talk about here on the podcast, right? So go on over to marchofdimes.org slash PP and P, find best for you, best for baby, and look up their five easy tips any woman can take to increase her chances of having a healthy pregnancy and baby. Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you are listening to Pregnancy, Parenting and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and then some. This is our second week with a new name. We dropped the common sense, or as I like to say it, common sense is implied around here. How do you like it? It's a little shorter, more to the point, and it fits easier on social media and podcast platforms. I'm a little worried that people might not be able to find us right away, new listeners, but if you'll help me spread the word, I'm sure they'll find their way into our conversation somehow. So we got to talk about politics. What a week for politics. Oh my God, it's been a fiasco. Monday night was the Iowa caucus, which is Iowa's equivalent of a primary election. Right off the bat, there's been extreme confusion as the app that Iowa used to collect caucus results malfunctioned. Now, the Iowa caucus is the beginning. It's the very start of the presidential nomination contest where we start to winnow the pool from a lot of candidates who are competing on the Democratic side of the ticket and just a handful on the Republican side. And we we uh, narrow the field eventually down to just one candidate on either side, one Democratic presidential candidate and one Republican. After this, there will be um, either caucuses or primary elections in all 50 states. And by summer, when the Republicans and Democrats will have their conventions, they'll officially select the candidates for the presidential election in November. That's the big election. One Dem against one Republican. Now, unless something really unforeseen happens uh, between now and then, President Trump will be the Republican nominee. There are actually several other Republicans running against Trump, including former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld, former Congressman Joe Walsh, former Governor of South Carolina and uh, Congressman Mark Sanford, and Rocky De La Fuente, an entrepreneur and former car salesman. 
Um, there may be others. Former Ohio Governor John Kasich is thinking about it. On the Democratic side of the ticket, there are still a whole lot of competitors, including Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Andrew Yang, Tom Steyer, Michael Bloomberg, Tulsi Gabbard, Michael Bennett, and Deval Patrick. Um, you know, we're really kind of looking at this point at four front runners. Uh, and while we're still waiting for official results, the front runners from Iowa are Buttigieg, Sanders, Warren, and Biden. Klobuchar made a good showing. So did Andrew Yang. Um, the rest, not so much, though they're still all in the running. Um, the big question for a lot of people right now is what's the difference between a caucus and a primary election? And I really love the way Refinery29 broke it down. So let me read a little bit from an article they posted this week on February 3rd. It's written by Brianna Provenzano, and it's titled, There is a Significant Difference Between the Caucus and the Primary Processes. So I'm going to just read this, but um, you could read the whole article, and it's a really good one, over on Refinery29 on February 3rd. Um, here's what they wrote. This is just a chunk. Both primaries and caucuses are about one thing, amassing delegates. In the United States, voters casting a ballot aren't directly selecting who they want to be the presidential nominee. Instead, they're indirectly influencing the number of delegates their state will send to a given political party's convention in the summer before the election. And those delegates will then nominate a candidate for the presidency. In a caucus, Voters engage in debate and give passionate speeches in an effort to convince their fellow caucus goers to switch their support from one candidate to another. It's a time-honored tradition that many consider to be quintessentially American. Debate vigorously, engage with your neighbors, practice free speech, and eventually help to, help to determine through popular vote who will serve as your elected representative. In comparison, a primary is a pared-down version of the same process. Voters select their candidate through a blind ballot, usually by bubbling in a name on a form, without all the bells and whistles. This is more in line with the actual voting process we see in the general election. Okay, that's from Refinery29 and kind of explains you know, what, what the caucus was about. Um, there's a lot of contention out there right now because... Normally, in years past, we got the caucus results the same night that it happened. We're only talking about one state here, but they used a new app. Everything got confused. Some people are saying, wow, they're hacking the election right off the bat. Others are saying, wow, they're using an untested, unreliable app. Um, some people are saying, why don't we just go back to paper ballots um, that's what we use here in Oregon. We have mail-in paper ballots, so we don't have to worry about, you know, things like, um, you know, having software hacked. And we don't have to worry about people not being able to get to the polls because they just mail us our ballots and we mail them back. Um, but those are some of the conversations that are out there. So the caucus, that was Monday. Then Tuesday was the State of the Union. Now, the State of the Union is the annual speech given by the president to Congress, where traditionally he shares his 
plans for the future, his goals, his platform, the issues he finds most relevant. That's the normal state of affairs. Trump, however, used his time in front of Congress and really on the world stage to rant, to spread false information, and right in the middle of it all to represent, to present radio commentator Rush Limbaugh, you know, Rush Limbaugh, who is famous for on-air homophobic, racist, and misogynist hate speech, um, the same one who had just been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, Trump presented him with a Medal of Congress. This is one of the highest honors that the president can bestow upon a citizen. And we got to ask, why? Is it because Limbaugh has done something great for our country? Ha! <laughs> Hardly. The guy's been spewing hate-filled nonsense for decades now. He got it because he's a big Trump supporter. And Trump rewards those who support him, no matter how racist, sexist, and hateful they are. So that was Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, Congress acquitted Trump of his impeachment charges. It was an almost straight party vote with all Republican members of Congress, except at the last minute, Mitt Romney. Um, all the Republicans voted to acquit or to find the president not guilty. And all Democratic members voted guilty. Um, this doesn't mean the president wasn't impeached. He was. And that stands in history forever. It means Congress decided not to remove him from office. Oh, boy. So I'm recording this on Thursday, and there's still plenty of news cycle left to finish this week out. Um, this week's been an absolute political tornado, which is why we had to talk about it. So what does that mean for the rest of the election? Well, I've mentioned before that this election is particularly important because the platforms that these candidates are uh, competing on, and their platform means what are the things that they stand for? What are the things that are important to them? We're hearing about a huge range of things, but primarily we're going to be talking a lot about health care, gun control, education, women's rights, all kinds of things that have direct impacts on our lives as uh, women and as parents. Um, for a lot of people, the confusion in Iowa and the president's acquittal in Congress they're going to be super discouraging. They're going to think, what's the point? Nothing I do is going to change anything. Why vote at all? Well, that's true only if you decide to do nothing. If you decide not to vote in your primary elections or not to participate in your caucus or not to donate time or money to your favorite candidate's um, elections and you know not vote ultimately in the November presidential election, then you're right the future is likely to be pretty bleak. Here's a, st a statistic that still really shocks me today. Only about 61% of registered voters showed up at the polls to vote in 2016 presidential election. That, that leaves millions of qualified registered voters who didn't even go to the polls. That would have changed the entire election. Now, of that 61%, Hillary Clinton won more votes than Trump, but Trump won more electoral college votes. Now, we're going to do another episode down the line that explains what the electoral college is all about. But for today, the big message is this. If we all vote 
and overwhelm the polls, both in the primaries, caucuses, and, and at the presidential election in November, we will turn this fiasco around. There are far more people who are qualified and registered to vote than who actually show up to do their civic duty. You know, the reasons why people don't vote are they're apathetic. They simply don't care. They're misinformed. They're, they just don't know about the election. They're discouraged. Maybe they don't have transportation. Maybe they don't know where their polling place is. Maybe they have to work and they can't get the time off. Those are excuses that we can't afford to make this time around. Um, we have to show up. We have to give rides. We have to register voters. We have to insist that our employers give us adequate time to vote. It is our right as citizens. Do it, do it, do it. We citizens must be do the job that Congress apparently won't do for us. This November, let's vote out those members of Congress who refuse to represent our country and government against a president who very obviously broke many laws. And let's Vote for a president who will bring our country back to the values we want it to represent. It's up to us, listeners. No one is going to save us. Vote, campaign, contribute, and bring all your people with you. This is what it means to be a patriot in 2020. Okay, that's a big, big rant in a big, big week. So let's take a real quick break. March of Dimes has a powerful new campaign, Best for You, Best for Baby, which started in January, uh, which is Birth Defects Prevention Month, and goes all the way to March 3rd, which is World Birth Defects Day. You'll find all kinds of information about their campaign on social media at hashtag best number four you best for baby and find out five simple ways any woman can increase her odds for having a healthy pregnancy and baby. About one out of every 33 babies is born with a birth defect, which can be life-altering and even life-threatening. Yeah, those are scary numbers. But there are so many things women and their families can do to prevent becoming a statistic. Check out Best For You, Best For Baby on social media. Go on over to marchofdimes.org slash pp and p and be sure to give a listen to two special episodes on February 22nd and February 29th, where we talk all about it. All right, we are back, and we're going to have a good conversation with an author I'm really looking forward to talking to. Um, but first, I want to read a follow-up email I received from a young woman who was a guest on our podcast a little more than a year ago. Back in December of 2018, that was episode 142, we talked with Anup Bular, a student nurse who was working on her RN degree with hopes to become a labor and delivery nurse. She emailed this week with the loveliest update, and I'm delighted to read it here today. Dear Jeannie, I know it has been almost a year since we last spoke regarding my time in nursing school. I wanted to reach out to you because I have some exciting news to share. In the past few weeks, I accepted my first RN job in the neonatal intensive care unit at Chicago at Children's Hospital of Michigan. Even more exciting, I was recently accepted into University of Michigan's nurse midwifery program for fall of 2020. Women's health is an immense passion of mine, and I wanted to thank you so much for letting me be a part of your show. I feel that part of any success I have in the future has been through the guidance of podcast hosts such as yourself. 
I have learned so much from your show, and I am incredibly excited to continue to learn and grow as a nurse in the world of maternity. I hope to stay in touch and hope all has been well. Warm regards, Anu. Isn't that just the sweetest note? Oh my gosh. That really, that just made my day when I got this note. I'm so happy for Anoop and so proud of her progress. She's going to make an awesome midwife and she'll contribute so much to health, births, and well-being of so many women and families. Welcome to the tribe, Anoop, and keep us posted as you go through midwifery school. Okay, time to get to this week's guest. Dr. Ivy G is a pharmacist, mother, and the author of The Art of Good Enough, The Working Mom's Guilt-Free Guide to Thriving While Being Perfectly Imperfect. I love this title, and I live by the motto that close enough is good enough, so let's get Dr. G on the line. Hi, Ivy. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hey, I am good. Yeah? Um, Ivy, are you in San Francisco? Yes, I am in California. Mm, my home state. I miss it. I miss it. Yeah. Oh, oh I love it here. Close to everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm just up the street from you in Portland, Oregon. Ooh, it's rainy, right? It is. At this this very moment, they've been threatening us with, you know, a snowpocalypse. You know, for like a week, they've been telling us, watch out, watch out. And, you know, of course, everybody went to the grocery store and cleared out everything to make sure that... Oh, my God. Yeah, and here we are. So far, hasn't... No, it's okay. Wow. It's bright and sunny and beautiful. I walked out to the trash can and I saw one snowflake and that was it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how we do weather here in Portland. We add the drama. That's what you get. <laughs> yeah. So Portland's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. It I is. love Portland. It is. It is. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yep. Well, Ivy, I um read your bio before we picked up the phone here today. So I always ask the first hard question, which is this. Who are you and what do you do? Who am I? My name is Ivy G. And I, growing up, I wanted to be an actress. So I was on stage um, during my college years and even before that. Um, but later on, on the sound advice of my parents, they said you need to have a, you know, financially stable and respectable job. So I went for a business this great degree mm-hmm. and I ended up working for airline executives um, for a few years and I realized the corporate world wasn't for me so um, I started evening and weekend um, school for a master in engineering so I went to transfer to the technical side of the same airline and, and after a few quick years I realized that wasn't for me either so that's when I married my husband and moved to San Francisco, um, and I decided to be a pharmacist. So I went to um, went to pharmacy school and um, become uh, a pharmacist four years later. And in 2015, I actually become one of the first 500 clinical pharmacists in the country with the dual specialty board um, certification. That was something I was proud of. Um, and then I, a few years back, I started writing. So I've written a few thrillers and this is the self-help book. And 
I wrote recently published in January. This is a really interesting career path. You you were an, <laughs> an actress, you were an engineer, you were right. a pharmacist, pharmacist and an author. Yeah. So do you still have a day gig as a pharmacist or are you just working as a... I do. Yeah. Uh, I love what I do. You know, as a pharmacist, people usually think, oh, it's a Walgreens or, you know, CVS, you just fill prescriptions. I actually, um, my uh, home base is in the hospital. So uh-huh. I've always worked in the hospital and I work in intensive care units. So I see the sickest of patients. And I watch a lot of humanity, you know, amazing stories um, um, happening in front of my eyes. And that gives me uh, inspiration to write um, good stories for readers. It's, um, you know, I'm part of a multidisciplinary team. So I ranked with um, my uh, ICU team, the dietitians, the respiratory therapists, the, the physical therapists, including the, the doctors and the psychiatrists and nutrition um, support and uh, uh, social worker and patient care coordinator. We have a huge team. We walk around and um, talk about patients' case and decide what's the best for the patient at that time. And I also go to ID round, which is an um, infectious disease round. And I go to talk about all the um, patients that has all kinds of infections in the hospital and what are the best treatments for them. I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciated the hospital pharmacist <laughs> that I worked with when I was a labor and delivery nurse. Um, because, oh. Yeah. So I did that for about 20 years. And there oh my were... Goodness. That's, there were times when, that's a great work. yeah, it was a really good gig and, you know, rather intensive care, not the same as the ICU most of the time, but, you know, similarly, people come in with all kinds of bodies and all kinds of health backgrounds, and sometimes they're in crisis. And, you know, as a labor and delivery nurse, you're used to working with, you know, a dozen or more medications that you use all the time. Right. And then somebody right. comes in with something different or they need a different kind of dosing that you're not familiar with. And, you know, as the nurse, you're responsible for whatever you inject into that IV line. And if you're not familiar oh. with it, it, it may yeah. be something like she needs that med now. I don't have time to do this, you know, online research or whatever. So you call up your pharmacist who's right there in the hospital yes. and you say, yes. Tell me everything I need to know right now, and please double check my dosage for me. And they say you got yes. it. Yeah, and we uh, we're happy to provide that information. And I got to not just the nurses and also doctors as well, because you guys are busy doing you know diagnosing, treating the patient at the moment. You know, there's all the IV lines, all the, the you know monitors are beeping. There's and you're covering not just one patient. Sometimes there's multiple, and they all have uh, complications at the same time. So. We're the supporting group. So we look up drug information, we'll tell you what interactions, how fast you run the IVs and, you know, what to watch out for and what to monitor. So that's what we're trained for. So, yeah. And I like that part of my life. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an important part of the team. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I really relied on our pharmacy team. And, you know, when I was working with brand new nurses, oh my God, the stress level that new nurses, not even just new nurses, all nurses go through about administering medications. 
you know, it's scary because it is. Yeah. There's a lot of look like, you know, uh, and sound alike drugs. You know, sometimes the, tech, the doctors will give you a verbal order on the phone. You know, sometimes there's the background noises, or sometimes they talk in clips, you know, like phrases. You know, you, you, there's huge responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. For you to decide what's the best and safest way. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So nurses yeah. are working hard. Yeah. I had a great admiration. For the nurses, you guys are good. Yeah, well, you guys are <laughs> good, Handle all kinds of patients. You know, some are screaming, combative. Some are sort of, like, sedated and, and, and you know, immobile and not communicative. So all kinds of situations. Yeah. It's great work. Yeah. And I bet it does lend to really good, really good uh, writing fodder, so to speak. Yeah. Yes, you see, you know, sometimes their patients so sick and they're next to door and next door to each other, and one room will be so packed. And the doctor and nurse come and say, "Would you guys please step out to the waiting room? We only allow two or three, the most, uh, to visit a patient at a time because it's difficult for the nurses to go in and out and to do their thing." And in the other room, the patient will be stay for two months and not a single soul sh- showed up. Yeah. you know, it's it's. Interesting. It yeah. is. It is. It's amazing yeah. that the polar differences that you see in a hospital. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the tremendous personal struggles they go through. Yeah. Yeah. Because my office is just, you know, right outside my door. Yeah. Yeah. I know. The whole world is in that hospital. It's remarkable. The whole world. You yeah. said it right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Entire humanity. <laughs> so tell me about finding your writing life. How did that happen? So a few years back, I had uh, um, uh, surgery. So I was off work for uh, quite a few weeks. And during that time, I was not very mobile and I was in pain. Um, it was difficult. I always loved the reading. So I started to read um, a thriller. And it came to me that, you know, for all the years, you know, remember I said earlier that I always wanted to, I wanted to be an actress. And in high school, my parents persuaded me to go for a traditional type of job because starving artists, you don't make a good living. And Mm -hmm. I think there's some point to it. But um, I always wanted to be an actress who can write and act. So, um, but because all those jobs, and then I, I did all these in the work experience. It's sort of, it's always a nostalgic topic of writing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though I published little uh, things here and there, but, you know, writing a big project, it's always something that I wasn't sure I was ready. So because I had nothing to do and I was just reading and I thought I can write an alternative ending to this book right now. So I started I'm not going to tell you which book because I don't want to offend any authors <laughs> out there. But, um, and I did, I found myself so joyous. I can't tell you the feeling. It, it's, um, it's like you find your calling. There's certain things I'm not paid for. I don't even have an audience besides myself. But mm-hmm. I had so much joy. And I started typing on my laptop. I couldn't even sit up straight. I had to lean on lots of pillows. Um, but I did, um, and wrote very quickly. So after a week or, or so, I decided to write the story always been in my head for a long time. And I started writing, and three months later, I finished. Hmm. It wasn't that good, though. <laughs> did you submit <laughs> it for publication? 
No, I read it myself. I am very critical of myself in terms of writing, and I think it's terrible. So I I wrote it again. Uh, Slightly different story, but um, with better, um, you know, outline and the 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 characters are more uh, vivid in the story the plot is more of a um a more interesting and intriguing and the theme i went deeper so everybody um the story is, stays on the story itself it has a deeper theme and then at the same time i began to join all the literary communities and you know going to the writers conference in san francisco we have very good ones mm-hmm. locally and i meet so many people and they gave me pointers, and I realized at the time that I didn't have to go to a MFA, which is a Master of uh, um, Fine Art. You know, that's where right. the traditionally trained writers they do. But I had so many degrees. I had a postgraduate degree. I had too many, and plus it's costly. It costs a lot of time, and then you have, you do have to travel to go in person um, programs you know, twice a year or so. So I decided to do it myself. And yeah. I just learn from reading great works and go from there. Smart. Yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of debate in the writing world about whether a formal education really is necessary. And um, right. I kind of, I think it kind of depends on the writer. I think that some people really need the, you know, the training, the support, the community, the discipline, they need you know, deadlines imposed by their program, they need that. And then other people say, you know what, I'm just going to write the darn book. And they do. And uh, yes, and yeah. they're a good one. Yeah, yeah. I think the most important is it depends on what you write. So if it's a fiction, it'd be best that you lift a little. So you've seen enough. There's a certain story that you combine from you draw from your life experience or what you have heard from other people, and then you transcribe it into a new form. So so sharpen that story and present it to the world. Yeah. And that probably is a better one than you go through the two years of training and get a degree and then go from there, because I think a lot of younger people, they go there, but they don't really have their own story yet. And, and the self-discovering, you know, it takes some time. Yeah. And in nonfiction, it's all about the message behind the, the writing. So I think if you got the message right, you have the important message to share, then um, don't worry about your writing skills because if your words really shine, you know that the, the message really resonates, then your word will your words will shine because it connects to people. So, and I personally like plain speaking, uh, simple writing because I think it's it's more approachable. I do too. And I think that so many writers, especially maybe, you know, younger ones, they, they replace experience and message with words. They'll use 20 words where five would do. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. And loop around. (laughs) Yes. Which is why editors exist. I agree with you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, I'm curious at what point in your career did you become a mom? And, and how did that impact was, your working uh, self? Right. So I was in I was the first year student in pharmacy school. Mm-hmm. And I just all of a sudden became feeling very tired every day. Mm-hmm. So um, I was, you know, we married and we bought a house the year before, before I just started the pharmacy school. So, um, um, and I did it at home pregnancy tests and they were all negative. 
but I was so tired. I was just so tired. And I went to the clinic on campus. And I remember doctor, um, that was the nurse, and she came out and she goes, well, congratulations, you're pregnant. <laughs> I was shocked, to, to, to tell you the truth. I just started the pharmacy school and, you know, coming from a, a, a you know, engineer background, pharmacy is all about chemistry, biology, and it's a whole new world for me. It's a new language. Um, yeah. And the school is intense. You know, I, uh, I graduated from University of California, San Francisco, and it's one of the best. And back then, it was the very best uh, pharmacy school in the country. Very competitive. And all my um, classmates, they were mostly single, where they, you know, they did, they just spend all their time on studying. But like now I have, a, you know, a baby on the way. So it was a tremendous um, stress. You and I have a and, lot in common. I was pregnant all the way through <laughs> nursing school. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's very stressful, you know, because you worried a lot. And I remember worrying everything yeah. in the world about about pregnancy, about how to help this baby, you know, how to prepare. And I, I and looking back, I think I spent all this energy for nothing. <laughs> Just yeah. playing worry and stressing myself out. Yeah. 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 Are you the mother of one or do you have more than more kids now? I only have one, but my uh, my pregnancy, uh, the, the, the <laughs> my uh, delivery, to be exact, is is. Uh, very traumatic it took a day and a half and I I went through everything possible with the pregnancy so I that that was scary so um yeah one is plenty one is plenty (laughs) yeah yeah so I only have one son but Yeah. yeah so let's talk about your your most recent book the art of good enough the working mom's guilt free guide to thriving while being perfectly imperfect and then you also wrote a journal to go with it. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Well, well I got very updated. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, again, you and I have a lot in common because one of my mottos has always been close enough is good enough. And, you know, I've mm, always kind I of like ag- agreed with the, the tome. Perfection is the enemy of progress. And I think that yes. so many women place a really high value in on perfectionism and getting everything exactly right. And I think that getting over that is a really high hurdle. I get it. You know, there, being a parent and being a working parent is, you know, you know, there's a lot, it's a stressful thing and you want to get it right. And especially I think if you're a working mom, you know, there's guilt that, you know, my child deserves all of me all the time and yet I yes. really need to want to work, you know, so you got to, there's a divide there. Right. So I think um, for working mom, the challenges are uh, mainly uh, guilt, you know, the guilt about you're not spending enough time with your kids, but when you do spend time with them, you know, it's some, you know, the little kids can drive you nuts sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and you worry about the time. You know, time, what do I do this? There's so many things for you to do. And, and everything pulls you in, from different, in different directions. So um, 
So guilt and time, and there's also of self-doubt. I think especially lately, like the last five to 10 years, with the social media, you know, the people's information from every corner of the world are brought out, you know, so close to you. You got to see all these beautiful people, their moms, and they're doing everything fabulously, and they, they can do everything without any problem <laughs> while you at home struggling with the <laughs> tiny little things to get a little kid to put on their shoes, to get them out of the door, make sure all the ducks in the row, you know, it's the tiniest thing to drive you crazy. Because when you see someone does it so much better than you, all you feel is, I'm not good enough. And that doesn't help you in any way or shape or form. The reason why is because you put yourself down and you doubt your ability. So next time when something else happened that didn't go the way it's ex- uh, expected, then you believe it's because of your inadequacy. And right. that's a terrible thing to think, to think because it's a wrong way of thinking. So I tell moms, especially, because you have so many things to do, you have a lot of responsibility. You have responsibility at work. Kids' future. So everything you do, you're thinking, gosh, if I can't even handle now, can I prepare them for life, you know, for their success? Would I ruin their chances? So I I think it's putting a lot of pressure internally. So outwardly, if you you keep comparing to the, all these people, successful people um, on social media, that's even more pressure. So the internally and externally, the two pressures press you in. That means you feel so frustrated, not frustrated. It's sort of like a disappointment um, and also um, a resentment because you feel like you devoted everything for everyone else. You left nothing for yourself. And in the end, this is what you get. This is the reward. So, yeah. um, so I think um, the the way to look at this is the first you got to figure out what's important in your life at the moment. What are the most important things? Focus on the things that are important and let go of the other things because they are not important to you. So you don't need to compare with anybody. So let's give some. So focus let's on give- the. Let's give listeners some examples because, you know, if they're really in the trenches with young kids, everything seems important. Every single moment seems like a crisis. So how did you prioritize what was important to you? So for young kids, the most important thing is they're well fed and they sleep well. They are healthy Mm -hmm. in health. Mm -hmm. So if sometimes they whine a little or they keep forgetting something or they yell or they have a little temper, tension, you know, the little kids thing. Yeah. Those are comes and goes. They, they go through different stages and eventually they'll all grow on that most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so it just it's sort of like if you pay more attention to those little dramas they do and they'll tend to do it more because they feel like that's the only way they can get your attention. So sometimes that feeds into detention seeking uh, behavior from kids. But mostly is um, focus on their health. You know, are they growing? And don't worry too much about whether all my neighbors' kids are so much taller, even though they're like two months younger. Mm-hmm. Kids who catch up, those little things, it, it will not be important in five or ten years. What you most important thing, they are growing um, healthily. And they're responding to you as you grow, like for a few months old. Are they responding to you? Um, do they show emotions? Like if you read a board book, 
with them, you know, you make funny voices. Do they sometimes, do they uh, interact with you? Those kind of, uh, you know, emotional or psychological development are important. Mm -hmm. But once you know your kids are healthy, they're well nourished, what you need to focus on is to focus on what your kids like to do, what makes them excited. Do they like to play with their hands, you know, like a toy using their hands? They like to fix things. They like to take it apart and figure out what's going on. What do you like to read? Like if you teach them to just read, you know, the picture books and stuff, are they interested in that? The reason why I say that is because um, kids' personality sort of develop and formed by about age three. So sometimes you hear parents complain, oh, I teach my kids all this, and they never listen, and I go to school, they don't do their homework, and so these things. It's because... Um, at very early young age, if you want to prepare them to make them, you know, more uh, interesting reading or something, you should introduce this last reading a lot sooner. Like I started reading to my son at about four months old, but then, you know, he wasn't really speaking anything, but he can move his fingers and follow the, you know, draw circles or point the little characters, the animals um, on a book. And I read to them every night. Um, until he was about um, seven, six or seven years old, that then he can read on his own. Mm -hmm. But he still likes to me to read him. This sort of like a, a family time, a family routine, a bedtime routine yeah. between us, um, and that helped him to become curious because reading. There's only two ways you can introduce new experience um, to kids. One is through reading to see. To see the world through words, and the second is the traveling, to see how big the world is and how you know similar people are. Yeah. So, bring them to places, let them see the difference in culture and nature. Nature is very important, and uh, introduce them to books so they see the the world beyond what they see immediately. You know, um, they see opportunities and differences. So I think these are uh, help with the curiosity at an early age. So we're talking about you know, how to establish. So the first thing is, is parents have to decide what's most important. They're sort of deciding on their value system with these kids. So start there. Right. Discover your kids. Yeah. Their strengths. Like I know, you know, your kids are two or three year old and you think, mm -hmm, what do they do? Yeah. What are they good at? Yeah. But observe them. Something excites them. And every kid has a little talent in certain things. Some kids are more creative. Some kids are more, you know, conservative. They, they, they worry about trying new things. But they are, you know, they have their, their different ways of looking at things and approach things. Figure out how their brain works and find opportunities to promote and enhance that character. So this is a... This is a uh, an idea that you translate in the book to apply to parents as well. The concept of using what you have and uncovering your hidden talents and to reverse engineer your life path, right? Right. So um, basically, is um, lots of people, we all know what we are not good at, our weaknesses, because your parents are growing up, they always tell you, oh, you're not good at this, so you, you need to try more. The thing is, um, if you only focus on your weakness and that's all you see, and a lot of times that's where the inadequacy comes from. So instead of improving your weakness, which is ineffective, 
very excruciating because it's very hard to change. Once you grow to a certain age, it's very hard to change. Um, so what you do is in, instead you focus on your strengths, figure out what you're good at and keep doing what you're good at. That'll get you further in life. I like the idea of reverse engineering your life path. And I wonder if you could explain that a little bit to listeners. So um, so basically, reverse engineering is a technology used in different industries. So what does it mean is that you break apart a final product into pieces and try to reconstruct and to make it a better product. So you break apart a, a already made product into pieces and reconstruct to make it better, to improve it. So how are you going to use it for for uh, for you achieving your goal is so say I want to write this book. So I have this goal, and now I got to think what has to happen to for me to to have my book published. That's my goal. So then I need to find an agent, and agent leads to me to to publisher. But in order to attract agent, I have to go back from my final uh, goal, backtrack and say what has to happen before my f- I can reach my final goal. So I, in order for me to attract the agent, I have to have a, a good book. And in order for me to have a good book, so first of all, I need to, for example, this health help book, I need to have a good outline. I need to do sound research. So there's lots of scientific studies I need to read. And third, I need to talk to the mom, the working moms out there in the world that are dealing with the issues and crisis every day. So I combine all three ingredients. And that gives me the structure and the meat of the book. And how am I going to get actually writing this book? So I need to set up a planner. So, you know, I gave myself four months to, to get first draft out. Then every month I should have, have a goal. So, so first part will take six weeks and second part and the third part. And in order for me to reach that goal, I need to know how many words I need to write each day. And how do I monitor my progress? So instead of, uh, so, so by reverse engineering, you backtrack from your final goal to intermediate goal to your small step goal to immediately what can you do with a daily goal. And then you should have a uh, monitoring process to, to keep you on track so you know you're going to the right direction. And the, the, the way I think reverse engineer works is because they keep you laser focused on your final goal. So all your goal planning is backtracking from your goal back to where you are right now. So that keeps you focused. You are not taking detours. And it also shows you how you can find a logical step that links to each other, eventually bring you closer to reaching your, um, reaching your final goal. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I, I do a lot of um, writer coaching and what you're talking about is really similar to, you know, it, it's kind of, um, it's kind of amazing to many new writers that, you know, they've got these mm-hmm. ideas banging around in their head and this could be, you know, the goal could be writing a book or the goal could be starting a business or the goal could be, you know, whatever the goal is it's banging around in their head and they don't know how to get it from the thought process to actually you know, you know, happening. 
Right. Yeah. And right. when you can teach people just the simple, you know, tips and tricks of this is how you do it. It's life changing. It's really life altering. Yeah. Yes, because uh, sometimes when someone makes New Year resolution, right? So all you see is the two points, where you are now and where you're going to be right. when that happens. Right. But between the two points, there's a gigantic void Yeah. without a step. So lots of people just think, oh, I'm just going to push through. I'm going to use my willpower. I'm just going to do it. But after two weeks and then it dies off. Right. The reason is you didn't see the steps. And the second important thing is to reverse engineer for back check from your final goal to your intermediate and to your small goal and, and do diligence, do daily checkers. So you, every single day you check it off the day's activity. That makes it much more doable because you're only doing tiny little thing at a time. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is you need to have a backup plan. I tell people, it doesn't matter what kind of goal you have. Because remember, you're not living the void. So a lot of time you're doing your thing, but the the, the life sometimes goes against you. There's certain things unexpected will come in and what are going to happen. So have a backup plan. And by saying uh, that is, one, you need a mentor. I'm not saying you need to hire somebody, very expensive consultant, consultant. No, it could be your aunt Betty or somebody you trust that will not judge you. But they will tell, they will, what they do is because they lived through, they had experience and they're wiser and they're telling you what's the best thing to do at the moment to deal with this crisis. And help you guide your direction. The second is you meet your, either your, your spouse or your partner or someone you trust, like a friend, to give you the support. Sometimes you don't need anyone's help. You just need someone to listen, you know, because we're women. With certain things we, we can't process ourselves, so we have to talk to someone to sort of unleash that anxiety and all, all the other feelings. So th- that's the second person you need. And third, you need a um, accomplishment journal. I know it sounds really, you know, like, you know, cheeky thing, but what you do is you don't need to write a whole paragraph like a book about it, but Every single time you finish a certain things, you finish your day's task, check it off. And when you look back on your days and things are not going well, you look back and see, hey, I did this. And look how far I've come along. That gives you tremendous emotional boost. And, and it's, a, it's sort of like a self-appreciation. And a lot of times we're struggling so hard that the mom don't stop and think, how I have changed since the day I held the baby for the first time to now I'm like two years later, I'm so good with diapers. I'm so good with all mixing the milk and carrying. You are, you have got so much better than when you started, but people don't look that. They look around and see so many people are better than me, but yeah. you know, there's always people better than you. Yeah. Yeah. But they are not you. Your yeah. situation is different than them. So, And in the day of social media, they might just look like they're better than you because they happen to take a, po- a photo when they had their hair and makeup done. They may not be better than you at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think, you know, all beautiful things. <laughs> it's, it's not effortless. Yeah. Everything beautiful. Yeah. Anything beautiful takes work. I'm not discounting their effort, you know. I right. admire them. But that's not my focus. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious <laughs> you know? about so find your focus and let go of the unnecessary comparison. And and another thing is so first we we talk about in in terms of changing your life, you first you reverse engineer so you know always know your next step and you always um focus, you're not taking the wrong step. 
And second, you have a backup plan. So you have all the support, you know, the mentor and someone um, with the, to, to comfort you. And then you have accomplishment, accomplishment journal, a, a record or some daily checker even. You know, you don't even have to write words. You just fill in the blank and check it off every day. What is they help you to appreciate who you are. And, and, and let me say this on, on there. It's that you are so much better than you think. I to say you're not going to make it don't do it you're going to spend all this energy you're going to spend all this time and even money you know go through the degrees but you're not going to make it but i did you know besides my acting career that was i was too young you know um but everything after that there's always people they loved me and they they want to protect me and they said no you can't make it but i did and what it does is it gave you tremendous self-confidence boost then you realize you have so much potential you didn't even know they were there imagine how much you'd accomplish yeah and imagine what you'd accomplish if the people in your life were saying yeah go for it give it a try it's okay to try and fail it's okay to try and succeed just go try go for it so right so on the other uh on the other side when you deal with your little kids when your kids tell you hey mommy i want to do this and then because from your life experience or your point of view you sometimes may say oh i'm not sure i'm worried because you want to protect them you don't want them to waste their time or money or doing something sometimes you may have to just step back and let them do their thing because life has to be lived yeah. Not to be taught, you know, no one can be wise just on your advice alone. They had to go through life. They had to be able to fall down and get up again and know how to get up again. That's a very important thing. So um, sometimes allow the kids to, to be a failure in the beginning of their life. So they realize it's nothing. It's not a big deal. It's a part of a normal life. Yeah. Yeah. Failure you know, is just um, a way to learn. Yes, for example, you know, Stanford is so hard in California. Stanford is the hardest school to get in undergrad, you know. And um, there's so many talented people getting the program that every year, you know, I think in my book I referenced, there was a study. In three months, uh, in 2019, there two students committed suicide because mm. of the mounting pressure to be good, to be perfect. Mm. So don't do it to yourself and don't do it to your kids. It's okay to be imperfect. There's so many imperfect people. As a matter of fact, all the perfect thing you see is only one side. Mm-hmm. And on the underside, there are other things you don't know. So don't just think, oh, look at them. You know, I want to be like them. But you don't know who they really are. Right. You know, all right. you see is the one side. So don't don't set yourself up for the un- exceptionally high standard. It only make you feel lousy in the end. Set a small goal. For example, if you want to learn English, uh, Spanish, set a small goal. I just want to talk three sentences without using any English word to my uh, Spanish-speaking, you know, neighbor. Mm-hmm. If you make that goal, you say, "Hey, I did pretty well," and then you go from there, rather than you top down from a huge amount of goal, you know, like a gigantic goal up there, and you couldn't figure out the steps in between, and then you, you all you feel is like I'm a failure. I can't do this. I'm yeah. not good. Yeah. Yeah. So start from ground up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you and I only have a little bit of time left together. And I want to know what else do you want listeners to know um, 
about the book and where can they find it? Um, so the book is, um, has the three parts. The first part is the mind. I tell you how to understand your emotions and how to recognize your emotional triggers and how to overcome the negative uh, reactions. And the second part is the body. So how do you love your body regardless of your age or size? And the third part is to reverse engineer your path. So um, that's what we um, earlier we talked about. And the book is available everywhere um, books are sold. Um, So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and even Target, and there's IndieBound, Books a Million. And if you go to your local bookstore and don't have it, you can ask them to order for you and pick it up from the bookstore. Great, great. And I also have a um, companion journal that just filled with the worksheets. Like, um, for example, how do you improve your relationship? How do you communicate with your kids? How do you make a wise decision? You know, when something didn't go right, how do you draw, um, you know, you know, learn from that experience? How do you deal with it and try again until you succeed? So all these worksheets and checkers and um, planners, that's in the uh, workbook. And it's all, all sold anywhere. Um, if you, uh, you can buy directly on my website. And there'll be signed copies at exactly the same price. I just charge shipping, handling, and tax. And I have a promotion, which is like on my website only. It's like a, the, the uh, paperback book and the journal together signed, mailed to you at one low price. And so the shipping and handling is included. So if you're interested, you can check it out at ivg.com. That's my website. And G is spelled G-E, simple as that, ivg.com. Yeah, yeah, Um And if you don't want to buy the book, you know, because you have budget concerns, go to your library and ask them to um, to stop this book so you can check it out. You know, you know, I don't make a living out of the book. <laughs> I do have a career, but I do want to get the message out. And if you are interested um, in the journal, but you don't want to buy, which is okay, you can uh, email me at contact at ivg.com that's contact at ivyge.com and if you email me or sign up um, on my website there's a contact form i'll send you the pdf copies you can print it out on uh, at home you don't need to buy the book excellent that's great (laughs) that's really providing a big service to people and i think that especially a lot of the listeners that will be hearing this episode you know, they're probably expecting or, you know, they're just at home right now with their babies and money is tight. So that's it's great that you're providing that. It's service. hard. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. understand. Yeah. Yeah. So do reach out. Yeah. Well, it's time for our last three questions, our rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Uh, yes. OK. What role does feminism play in your life? Feminism. Um, believe in yourself. All right. Um, I I think that that's it. You know, always believe in yourself. You have so much more that you need to even realize. Give yourself a chance to try it, and you'll find your calling. It will happen. Great. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me that. That's a hard question. Um, Nobody ever told me. I can make it, you know, I can write a book. Like my husband said, are you crazy? You want to write a book? 
Um, but I did it. You know, I even signed a Hollywood um, producer for one of my um, thrillers. So I'm really excited for the progress I made. But if I doubted myself, I've never have started. So don't do a disservice to yourself. Wow. If something you're really passionate about, do it for yourself. So when you're 89 years old, you look at your grandchildren, you think, hey, I did it for myself and that was good. Yeah. Just for the effort. Yeah. Yeah. It's not for the result. Yep. Can can people pick up that thriller, the one that you signed with the Hollywood producer? Is that in the store? Uh, I, 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 the publishing world, it takes some time, um, but mm-hmm. I'll update the information on my website. Sounds good. Good. Well, my last question for you then is this. Where are you in the world of motherhood? Um, I have come to the point with my son to realize I can't change who he is, what he likes to do with his life, but I understand him enough to support him the best way I can. So observe you kids, figure out what they are good at and let them know what they are good at and provide the opportunity for them to practice more on the things that they're good at. So they become, they go out there, they are confident of their ability and to make the best of their life. That's good advice. I like that. Yeah. Well, Ivy, this has, been, this has been a really fun conversation. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And I think that your book and your words are going to be really encouraging to a lot of mothers who are in the trenches right now and wondering how to find their way out of it. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. I, I love your show. I listened to the previous one. They're real fun. Oh, yeah, good. I love it. And I learned a lot about pregnancy, delivery, yeah. Yeah. Well, good. And sometimes politics. Yep. <laughs> and sometimes politics. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, Ivy, Love thank you too. so much. We'll talk again down the road. Okay. Thank you for inviting me. I had a fun. Me too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks to our sponsor, March of Dimes, and be sure to check out their powerful new campaign, hashtag best for you, best for baby. And head on over to marchofdimes.org slash pp and p. That's it for this week, folks. I know it was a roller coaster, right? First all that politics and then such a lovely conversation with Dr. G. That's how we roll around here, though. You can learn more about Dr. G at www.ivg.com. Her book, The Art of Good Enough, The Working Mom's Guilt-Free Guide to Thriving While Being Perfectly Imperfect, and her Life Transformation Journal, you can find them on her website and wherever books are sold. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com, email me at jean at jeanfaulkner.com, tweet me at jean at jeanfaulkner, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, and please share this podcast with your friends. Let's keep the conversation going, shall we? We'll talk again next week. Bye-bye.